Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back once again to another edition of Felony Friday right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Each and every week, we bring you a brand new episode of Felony Friday. In each episode, we try to shine a light on the broken criminal justice system. And today's episode is no different. For today's episode, I've actually invited back on the show somebody who was on the show recently, back on episode number 32, Anthony Pappas. On episode number 32, Anthony shared his personal story of injustice he encountered through judicial immunity. And I wanted to have Anthony back on. There's some cases that Anthony and I have discussed offline that I think will be really beneficial to helping to shine a light in this area that really has just seen darkness and has not had sufficient attention towards it. So Anthony, I'll be introducing Anthony shortly. Before I do that, this is the 35th episode of Felony Friday. So you know that means you can find show notes to everything we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about a lot of different stories. So you definitely want to take note of this and check out the show notes page at lionsofliberty.com slash FF35. Just one more thing before I introduce Anthony, I do want to let you guys know of a brand new way that you can not only support the Lions of Liberty podcast, but you can also help to spread the message of liberty. You can do this by visiting IgniteLiberty.us. Ignite Liberty, it's a business that I actually started up myself, Ignite Liberty LLC. I started up within the past week. And one of the first things I'm selling there are Make Liberty Great Again snapback hats. They're stylish hats. They're creative designs. They're bold designs, I think. I think you're really going to enjoy them. But what I've done is I've set up a special offer for Lions of Liberty podcast listeners And all you're going to have to do, visit IgniteLiberty.us, pick the design you like, pick your favorite design. There's two designs to choose from right now. And at checkout, all you have to do is enter discount code LIBERTY and you'll get 10% off your order. And a large portion of the proceeds from that purchase are going to go right back into this podcast. And the hats are freaking awesome. Uh, Like I said, we have two really cool creative designs, eye-catching designs. So please stop by IgniteLiberty.us, pick out your favorite hat, enter promo code LIBERTY, and check out. It's that simple. Thank you very much. Today, I'm joined once again on Felony Friday by Anthony Pappas. Anthony was previously a guest on this show back on episode number 32. Uh, That's where he shared his personal story, his personal nightmare, really, about his experience in civil court for divorce proceedings. Anthony has been a college professor in the Department of Economics and Finance at St. John's University since 1976 and continues today. As I said before, in Anthony's case, the judge fabricated stories, labeled Anthony a violent Class B felon and compared him to a terrorist in written decisions. And because of this, and this is why I wanted to have Anthony back on today, Anthony has become passionate about and an advocate for reforming judicial immunity, uh, curbing judicial immunity in family court and civil court. So, Anthony, welcome back to Felony Friday. Uh, Thank you for having me on the show. Well, thank you for coming back on, Anthony. I got a lot of feedback after the last time you were on the show, after your last appearance. A lot of people just completely shocked by your story, really. Um, They hadn't really heard anything like it. I think they were glad they heard it and were made aware of it. So 
Uh, I think after we talk through, I think we have four stories today, four news items today. I think after we talk through these, I think people are going to be even more shocked. Uh, Well, it's a horrible uh, situation for our democracy that uh, the judges can't be held accountable and they are basically functioning like a dictatorship. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And it's systematic, really. And I think this first news story will show that. And this is the first news story I'm pretty sure most people have heard of. Once I start talking about it, it'll probably ring a bell and you'll remember it. So this first one, it's known as the case of the shirtless judge. And the reason it's known that way, this is uh, a judge in Detroit, Wade McCree. He's a married father of two, and he was nicknamed the shirtless judge reportedly for bragging about uh, he sent a picture of himself shirtless to a court deputy in 2010. And he said afterwards, once he was caught doing it, that he had no shame in his game. So that's where he got the label from. That's not really what the news item is about here. The case that really generated a uh, national media attention happened a couple years later. And this case involved a woman by the name of, I'm probably going to butcher this, I think it's Jeannie Lachey Mott. And Judge McCree was presiding over a failure to pay child support from Mott's ex-husband, Robert King. And what happened here is Judge McCree had some sexual relations during the proceedings with Miss Mott. And I guess there were some sexually explicit text messages and there was also some money exchanged. So their affair was revealed later and King accused McCree. King is the ex-husband in this case, accused McCree of violating his civil rights, which I think from the looks of it looks like they probably were violated. So this went all the way to the Supreme court And maybe, Anthony, maybe you can fill in the gaps here. What happened when it went to the Supreme Court? Well, uh, basically, the uh, Supreme Court uh, applied this uh, absurd uh, doctrine of judicial immunity. You know, the common person would say, well, what is reflective and shows that a judge is biased and uh, violating your civil rights He's having sexual relations uh, with one of the persons in his chambers or all over the court and in other places. So that should make him uh, biased. You know, draw analogies with other situations. You know, suppose a college professor is having sexual relations with a student. Uh, People would say that's uh, terrible. So uh, here you have a judge. He knows that uh, what he's doing is uh, wrong. The uh, husband uh, sues him uh, for violating uh, civil rights and for the uh, distress that he caused and for, you know, incurring uh, legal fees. And uh, it goes up to the uh, Supreme Court of the United States. And uh, the uh, Supreme Court uh, says uh, you can sue judges. Uh, Basically, they have uh, judicial immunity. And, uh, you know, you'd say, how come? What's going to happen? You know, the legal system is going to collapse if you're allowed to uh, sue uh, Judge McCree in this situation. Well, you know, the uh, principle is what they stand by. We protect the judges. It's necessary for them to have judicial immunity. So you can't uh, sue the judge. You know, they removed him from office. But that doesn't uh, provide, uh, you know, redress of grievances for the uh, husband who was uh, harmed by the uh, judge. You know, it's uh, an acknowledgement that what he was doing is wrong, 
but uh, he can't uh, be held liable for a portion of the uh, damages and grievances that he has caused uh, an ordinary citizen. So again, the judges are above the law. And, uh, you know, you would think that uh, after 40 years of this uh, doctrine, the uh, Supreme Court would, uh, you know, have uh, some uh, common sense and uh, modify it and, uh, you know, allow uh, some redress of uh, grievances. And again, it would be something that would go through the uh, court system, that uh, it could be, uh, you know, reviewed by the federal courts. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, the judge is going to be, you know, penalized by a tremendous amount. It uh, would be something that, uh, you know, the courts would have some control over. So uh, they should set up some uh, system of, uh, you know, self-regulation and uh, not uh, continue to adhere to this uh, absurd uh, doctrine of absolute uh, judicial immunity. I guess the reality of the situation, my main question is, is there any way to fix this right now? Or is the only way to fix this problem of judicial immunity to actually win a case that changes the precedent at the Supreme Court level? Well, the other way is by, uh, you know, creating uh, public awareness and, uh, you know, having the uh, executive and the legislative uh, branches take action to uh, change the doctrine. It could be something like a constitutional amendment or, uh, it, you know, it could be some other, you know, process that uh, the other branches of government uh, would undertake. But uh, the chances of that are uh, slim because there's no outcry about it. So, yes, uh, uh, you know, there's a little publicity about it. It uh, did get some news attention and then it was, uh, you know, dropped like a hot potato. So who's bringing this up and uh, proposing that uh, uh, changes be made or reforms be enacted? You know, the... Uh, political structure is ignoring it. Unfortunately, I think the reason that it did get media attention is because of the the sexual element to it and it being a, a judge and a woman and the sexual element of, you know, little risque behavior. I think that the media thought that would draw people to it and, you know, get some clicks on their sites. It didn't draw media attention for the right reason, just for the just abhorrent behavior here and just completely violating this uh, person, Mr. King, Robert King's civil rights. So, you know, we hear about cases like this because they're sexy, but this next case that we're going to talk about, I hadn't heard of until you sent it to me. And I mean, it's worse. I mean, I think it's definitely worse than the shirtless judge case. This next case took place in Long Island and a father by the name of Rudolph Lepolsky, I'm probably screwing all these names up, but so what this case involved is the title of this story is a father faults the judge for his son's heroin overdose. And essentially the father claims a program that allowed his son to avoid jail time by requiring him to abstain from methadone. Methadone of course is a synthetic opioid that is commonly used across the board to get people off of heroin, to get heroin addicts, off of heroin, onto methadone, and the father is claiming that a program that a judge prescribed wouldn't allow his son to take methadone, 
and drove him back to heroin. And the son was actually doing very well with methadone treatment and had was holding down a sales job and had sort of turned his life around. But a you know one slip up and then the judge seeing this uh, this young man, this twenty uh, eight year old, you know, when once they took his methadone away, he unfortunately went back to heroin, which is really a sad story. And he ended up dying, ended up overdosing. So in a case like this, Anthony, how common is it, or have you seen this in other cases where? You know, the judge is essentially acting like a, almost like a doctor saying what a person can and cannot put in their body. I've just never heard of anything like this. Uh, right. And uh, fortunately, as you say, this one uh, was uh, publicized by uh, NBC team investigative uh, report, you know, and that begs the question, you know, how many other situations uh, do we have of, uh, you know, capricious action by the uh, judges. The point uh, they are making as part of the investigative report is that, uh, you know, methadone treatment is uh, allowed, uh, you know, throughout uh, New York State. It uh, would be allowed in, uh, you know, other counties or in another courtroom. It's something that uh, the doctors recommend for treating uh, heroin addiction I think uh, policemen, uh, when they drive around in the squad cars, you know, carry uh, methadone with them in case they encounter someone who is overdosing on heroin to, to give them, you know, instant uh, treatment. So it's uh, something that's uh, regarded in the medical profession as, uh, you know, the proper treatment when you view, uh, you know, heroin as a disease or an addiction. And that's uh, the standard uh, throughout the uh, United States. And uh, now this uh, judge uh, on his own says, well, if you're using a methadone, it's like another crutch. And uh, I don't think you should use it because uh, I'm going to play a doctor. So I'm uh, telling you not to use it. I'm banning it as a treatment uh, for you. Uh, just, uh, you know, try to cope with your addiction uh, cold or, you know, on cold turkey or whatever. So uh, Robert Lepolsky wasn't able to do that. He overdosed on heroin and uh, he died. So uh, here we have, uh, you know, a life uh, lost. And uh, apparently the judge is still presiding and, uh, you know, there's been no disciplinary action uh, taken. And, uh, you know, the system just uh, goes along and it uh, doesn't react to situations where people lose their lives. And, uh, you know, we could have uh, uh, theoretically similar situations. I've become aware of like another situation where a victim was like thrown in jail because uh, he had uh, arrears in terms of legal fees that uh, he was required to pay. And uh, this uh, victim had undergone a heart uh, transplant uh, surgery. And uh, for that, uh, you need uh, a, uh, a transplant medication to uh, suppress your autoimmune system which is uh, trying to reject the uh, uh, new heart that you have uh, received. But uh, here again, the judge uh, threw him in jail without the uh, transplant medication, 
uh, risking uh, his life. And now, you know, that's nowhere in the news. This person uh, fortunately survived, but uh, there could be other cases uh, that uh, we don't hear about. You know, if somebody dies in a prison, they could say, well, a heart attack or blood clot, and they don't investigate further as to what were the circumstances behind uh, the death, should he have been placed there, was, uh, you know, the treatment uh, brutal and uh, in violation of uh, civil rights. They just uh, close the case and uh, they don't care about uh, uh, human lives. So again, we don't have oversight over the uh, judicial branch of uh, the government and it's equivalent to a, a dictatorship. It really is unbelievable, you know, that a judge is able to just make these decisions that just have catastrophic impacts. I mean, imagine if a doctor was allowed to, if, you know, if a doctor made a, a terrible mistake, you know, during a, an operation or something, an error, a, a human error, something that, you know, that they knew they, they shouldn't have done and they did something wrong. What if you couldn't sue doctors when they screwed up? And I know, it's, I know it's not always easy to, to sue doctors. I'm sure doctors would like not to be able to be sued, but it's the same thing. I mean, if somebody has your life in their hands, you got to be able to hold them accountable. And it's just incredible that the judges are able to operate in this manner. Uh, right. Uh, you could also draw an analogy, I guess, with a, a priest. If, uh, you know, someone has a heroin addiction and uh, goes to a priest, and the priest says, uh, don't use methadone, just pray to God, I believe you would be able to, uh, you know, sue the priest. So again, this shows the uh, judges are the only category of uh, citizens or individuals that have this type of immunity, and uh, they, you know, don't uh, seem to be ready to uh, modify it. Incredible. And, uh, you know, it's almost like as these stories go along, they, I don't know if they keep on getting worse, but we have another another tough one, another uh, another rough example here. And this one, um, title of this story is a daughter. A daughter lied when she was younger and sent her father to prison for rape and admits to lying when she was younger. And the father is still in prison today. So the article here that I'll post on the show notes page it was this was you know a news story back in 2013. The daughter in this story, Shania Kelly, says that in 1997 she falsely accused her father, Daryl Kelly, of raping her. Excuse me, I don't really think it was rape. I think it would be more in the category of sexual abuse that she was okay. saying that uh, the father touched her no-no spot, or okay. meaning you know I guess her vagina. Well, that's how it was referred to. Yeah, and what happened here, I guess, Anthony, is the mother in this case, Charade, I think is her name, was on drugs and just out of her mind and for whatever reason was pressuring the daughter to say that the father was uh, was touching her inappropriately. And this went all the way. I guess the mother then, uh, then went to the police and the, the daughter said that, that her father had been touching her. And I'm sure that, you know, prosecutors were, were heavily involved crafting the story as well. The father ends up getting arrested, um, get, ends up getting convicted. And then years later, so this is in 97, 
years later, I don't have it. Actually, no, some just a couple months later, I think. Yeah, a couple months later. Is that correct, Anthony? Uh, well, uh, right. The, the the little girl, a couple of months uh, later, recanted her testimony. Uh, now she was living with her grandmother, so she was away from like the mother's influence. But then, you know, in the original trial, the, uh, the person was convicted on uh, both the testimony of the uh, little daughter and uh, the mother who, uh, you know, accused the father of uh, inappropriate uh, touching. Uh, the little girl uh, recanted a little bit uh, in a short period of time. But then we, uh, you know, have this uh, interview by, uh, uh, you know, Lester Holt from uh, NBC Nightly News, where he is saying that ultimately, uh, many years later, uh, the daughter and the mother who were the witnesses testifying about inappropriate contact, they are both uh, recanting their testimony. And, uh, you know, the mother is uh, verifying that, uh, you know, she threatened to beat the girl with uh, a belt if uh, the girl didn't say, he touched me in my no-no spot. And uh, so the mother is saying, uh, yes, I threatened the little girl uh, to uh, give false testimony, and I gave false testimony myself. So now you would think uh, the person would be set free, because uh, you know the two people testifying against them are saying we both lied. So now, in a bizarre twist of fate, the legal system says, "Well, we don't believe you now." You're lying when you're telling us this, uh, you know, 15 years later. You were telling the truth earlier, uh, uh, 15 years uh, ago, and uh, we'll just keep the father in jail. So Unbelievable. So how has he not been able to get, to at least get an appeal of some kind? Well, again, I'm not an expert on this, but uh, it goes that, uh, you know, we can make whatever decisions we want. And, uh, you know, if you're not uh, fortunate enough to have uh, someone sensible uh, deal with your uh, situation, you know, you, uh, you stay in uh, jail. And, uh, uh, you know, there are many situations where uh, innocent people are convicted and uh, then, you know, they wind up being released on the basis of, you know, DNA evidence or uh, some people recant the testimony or, uh, uh, you know, say, uh, you know, we were coerced into testifying this way. Uh, here, when uh, the uh, two individuals are now, you know, adults and testifying years later, for uh, some reason, the court is concluding that uh, they're not telling the truth and the father should stay in jail. It's amazing because what motive would they have all of a sudden to to change their story and then hold to that consistently for, you know, we're going on 20 years now that the father's been in jail. And since almost the very beginning, just a couple of months after the conviction, they've said that, that they made it up. They've recanted their story and they've consistently held to that. And the daughter has even gone, was able to get visitation rights to visit her father in jail. And the father does not hold 
the daughter personally responsible, which makes sense as she was basically forced into uh, making this story up by her mother. So it's just an incredibly sad story. Um, he was sentenced to 20 to 40 years in prison. So I don't know if that means he'll get out soon or if he's a good behavior in prison or not, but hopefully for his own sake, he gets out soon. Well, again, we could uh, argue that uh, we have a system where the primary purpose seems to be punishment, whether it's justified or not, and the concern about, uh, you know, human lives and compassion and uh, fairness, you know, those concerns are fall by the wayside. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. And these stories just are really a slap in the face and hopefully should wake a lot of people up. This next story you sent me recently, Anthony, and I'm familiar with it. Happened in my home state here. I'm in Pennsylvania and it's known as the Kids for Cash scandal. And this unfolded, uh, I think, about maybe eight years ago, back in 2008. And what it was is there were kickbacks being paid between prison operators and judges to get the judges to sentence juveniles to uh, for-profit youth centers, juvenile detention centers. The judges involved in this by the name of Judge Mark so, <laughs> these names are all terrible. Judge Mark Ciervelli and Judge Michael Conahan. Nobody can be just Smith or uh, you know any easy name like that. Anyway, they ended up getting convicted eventually. But what they were doing, they, they were sending these kids to uh, these juvenile detention centers for for just some very minor minor things like trespassing in vacant buildings or shoplifting DVDs at Walmart or uh, one was even for just mocking a principal on MySpace, sending these kids away to d- detention centers just for a little bit of a kickback. Just uh, completely, you know, wh- where is the morality here? There's absolutely none. All they saw was was money, I guess. So what eventually happened here, Anthony, and uh, do you know how they got caught? Uh, well, I believe there was uh, an FBI investigation that uh, somehow uncovered the uh, venality or the bribery that was uh, occurring and uh, that uh, enabled, you know, the FBI to bring uh, charges. Uh, But, uh, uh, you know, the the commentary I would make on this would be that if uh, they had just been uh, capricious, you know, if, uh, you know, the judge just said, well, uh, I think uh, the younger generation should show more respect. So if they curse in class, they go to detention for four years. Or if they mock the principal on MySpace, you know, they go to detention for four years. And I just feel like uh, doing that, right? If uh, he had not accepted any money, but, uh, you know, just had uh, this, uh, you know, viewpoint about uh, what were appropriate uh, sentences, he could have... Uh, destroyed the uh, lives uh, as he did, and uh, you know it, uh, this involved uh, you know two thousand uh, you know uh, juveniles, and uh, in that situation he would have had immunity. You know if he wasn't getting uh, uh, bribes, again the principle is uh, the judge can uh, be uh, capricious, and uh, you know before this was exposed, uh, this was going on for a long period of time. Uh, there must have been uh, 
you know, parents or people that felt, hey, why is my uh, child going to detention for four years or some period of time, you know, for trespassing on school property when it's uh, empty or uh, he's going to detention for, uh, you know, cursing in class or, you know, throwing an eraser or whatever. So these uh, sentences were uh, unduly harsh. There was no uh, way to uh, uh, review them or, you know, have them uh, reconsidered. And, uh, you know, the person, the judges are just ruining uh, the lives of hundreds and thousands of uh, juveniles. Uh, You know, if you send a juvenile to detention, uh, you know, he doesn't complete the school with his classmates. You know, he doesn't, uh, uh, you know, graduate when he's uh, supposed to. And uh, it creates, uh, you know, distress uh, there was a case where uh, uh, one young man uh, committed uh, suicide uh, because of, uh, you know, the fact that uh, the detention interfered, uh, you know, with his plans, you know, to graduate and attend college, uh, whatever it delayed them or, uh, you know, somehow upsets, you know, your plans or whether to graduate or get a job or go to college. And uh, the uh, uh, the young man committed uh, suicide again. Something uh, totally unnecessary, and the damage to hundreds and thousands of other juveniles uh, could have been avoided. And uh, if there was some sensible review process, and where somebody could uh, you know remove this judge from office. Uh, just for being, uh, you know, off the wall in terms of uh, the sentences he was giving out. Uh, He would still be on the bench if uh, he had not taken bribes. So he'd still be uh, destroying lives and uh, being protected by, uh, you know, judicial immunity. Yeah, it really is a good point that you bring up uh, regarding, you know, these judges would be able to operate like this. The only thing that got them in trouble was taking money. And one of the reasons that I do this podcast and what got me interested in criminal justice reform, especially uh, nonviolent drug reform, is a friend of mine was arrested in Pennsylvania, central Pennsylvania. And there was a judge that he's been known for um, completely just over-sentencing for marijuana crimes. And my friend in this circumstance was selling a little bit of marijuana and there was an undercover cop that he was selling to and the undercover cop kept coming back to him, coming back to him, coming back to him, getting more and more and more greater amounts to get to the point of being able to charge a felony. And when they did finally uh, move in to arrest my friend, uh, they found absolutely no drugs. He didn't have any paraphernalia. And when they arrested the other people that were associated with him, they all had drugs, they all had paraphernalia. And my friend ended up getting the harshest sentence just because the judge, the, uh, excuse me, undercover cop was able to get the, the most amount of a sale from him when it was evident that he was not dealing drugs. He was, he just thought he was helping out this undercover cop, but this, uh, this guy ended up serving a year in, in prison, various prisons around Pennsylvania. And this was many years ago. And he's, uh, I think he's still on probation today. Uh, just for just for selling some plants, which is just just ridiculous. But 
Um, I, I just thought that there was a little bit of correlation here with this story. Uh, yeah. And, you know, if a judge is anti-drug, they can, you know, if you can get it arrested for the same crime in one part of a state and get arrested, you know, a friend of yours gets arrested in another part of the state and one judge could let you off with a little bit of a fine and one judge could send you to prison. Right. And, uh, you know, picking up on that, these uh, sentencing disparities are often, uh, you know, utilized as like uh, bargaining points in terms of like uh, plea deals. Uh, we know that uh, like 95% of the criminal cases are, are don't go to trial. They are resolved through plea deals. So if, uh, you know, you get an attorney or a public defender, uh, they could tell you, uh, well, you're going to go before a hanging judge. You know, he has a reputation for hanging people or, you know, treating them uh, brutally. So uh, you better plea that you're guilty uh, because, uh, you know, you don't want to annoy him or irritate him or, you know, take the risk that uh, instead of, uh, you know, pleading to a lower charge, uh, you're going to be found guilty of, uh, you know, the higher level offense and uh, this judge will, uh, you know, hang you or, you know, sentence you for a long period of time. So uh, these disparities in the temperament or, uh, you know, the sentencing or the attitudes of the judges is, uh, you know, part of this process of bargaining and uh, putting pressure on uh, people to, uh, you know, give up their rights and, uh, uh, you know, to uh, suffer terrible consequences, which, uh, uh, you know, they don't deserve. So the whole system uh, needs to be uh, reformed uh, in many respects, you know, criminal uh, courts, the civil courts, and, you know, this doctrine of judicial immunity uh, should be a top uh, priority. And uh, again, uh, where are the uh, politicians that are raising uh, this issue? It's an election year, and uh, no politician that I'm aware of is uh, raising it. Uh, you know, Senate candidates, uh, congressional candidates, presidential candidates, uh, people running for state legislatures. Uh, there seems to be like a conspiracy of silence about this. You know, one guy who I know is raising it and will raise it, and you know him too, is a libertarian Senate candidate in New York, Alex Merced. Um, I, I meant to ask you about this last time. But how did you meet Alex? You, you were running for, for the Green Party ticket. Is that correct? Well, uh, yes, uh, but uh, the way I met him was at a uh, uh, the CNN uh, town hall for the uh, libertarian uh, candidates, Gary Johnson and William uh, Weld. Uh, so uh, they asked the uh, people to, uh, you know, submit a set of questions or indicate that they wanted to attend the uh, CNN uh, town hall. Uh, so uh, I was uh, selected to go to the town hall meeting and, uh, you know, during the, you know, the break or uh, at the end of the uh, show, uh, you, uh, you know, socialized and talked to the other people that were at the meeting. And uh, that's how I met uh, Alex. Well, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing, Anthony. Um, unfortunately, there's not more people doing this out there. There's not more people shining a light on this. Hopefully, 
uh, with having you on the show again, reviewing these crimes. This will wake more people up. Hopefully people share this show. Just wanted to give you uh, give you a chance to say the last word if you have anything else you want to add. Uh, well, the longer people delay in uh, changing the system, you're just going to have uh, more tragedies. Uh, you know, people will commit suicide. Uh, children will be uh, harmed. Uh, it's, uh, you know, really a very atrocious uh, situation. And uh, it's incomprehensible, uh, you know, how in the uh, 21st uh, century, when, uh, you know, when we profess to have a system that provides justice, uh, we are weighed down by this uh, odious uh, decision, uh, you know, from the 1970s. And, uh, you know, as I say, everybody uh, is probably aware of it. Uh, you know, attorneys are aware of it. Uh, how many people go to law school and uh, become aware of the decision? And uh, uh, it's comparable to, uh, you know, the Dred Scott decision. You know, African-Americans are not human beings. They are property. Uh, here we have something that morally and ethically is... Uh, uh, equivalent, and uh, uh, in the 21st century, it's uh, tolerated. So it's just uh, incomprehensible. So, but again, uh, let's uh, try to uh, raise awareness and change uh, the system for the better. Well, thank you once again for coming on Felony Friday, Anthony. Thank you for having me. This was another great show with Anthony Pappas today. You know, I really want to thank Anthony for coming back on to Felony Friday to share and to talk about these important stories. During Anthony's previous appearance on the show, back in episode number 32, and I'll link to that in the show notes as well. As you know, people who listened, and if you haven't listened, please go back and listen to it. He shared his story, his personal story, of how he's been pushed around and lied about by a judge who just really simply didn't like him. Now, a lot of people would be demoralized by this type of behavior, by these types of circumstances. And a lot of people would choose to deal with this uh, by simply you know, dealing with this nightmare in private. But Anthony is not like a lot of people. Anthony has chosen to use this experience to spread awareness about the injustice of judicial immunity and to shine a light on this abhorrent and really just, just an abhorrent behavior, but also just completely unfair balance of power. There is no semblance of equality under the law with this type of behavior, and it, it really has to stop. And the only way we're going to stop it is by gaining awareness and educating people that it does exist. Now, we talked about quite a few cases today, and many of the cases my listeners might have been familiar with. If you're not familiar with them, I encourage you, please go to the show notes page, check them out, read about them, and learn more. Judicial immunity is a troubling, troubling thing. Uh, most people have no idea that it's going on, so please you know, share this episode with others. I always encourage that. Uh, please like the Lions of Liberty on Facebook and Twitter. That kind of makes it easier to share it. You'll, you'll see it come out on our social media, and you can just retweet it or, or uh, forward it on on Facebook. So please do that. If you haven't yet joined the Lions of Liberty forum on Facebook, I really do want to encourage you to check that out. The Facebook group is growing rapidly, and Mark Clare posted something last week in there, uh, posted something talking about just how proud he was of that forum group, how proud he was of how people were interacting with each other, being respectful of each other. And I wholeheartedly agree with him. 
it's really become a, uh, a nice little group of a nice little discussion group and little group. We're over 500 people now. So, uh, it's not little by any stretch of the imagination. There's just always new points of view being brought up. People are not being condescending to each other. You can join the Lions of Liberty Forum by going on Facebook, typing Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar there. You can contact me if you have any questions at felonyfriday at lionsofliberty.com. Pass along any stories you want me to talk about, any guests you want me to have on. I read all my email and I try to respond to all of it, so don't be shy. I think that's it for today, guys. I really want to thank you for joining me. Just one more reminder, please, you can really help out the show by going to igniteliberty.us, uh, looking around at the options of hats we have there, of Make Liberty Great Again hats, picking out a hat, going to check out and entering uh, promo code, discount code, Liberty, for 10% off of your purchase. A major portion of those profits are going to go right back into the Lions of Liberty. So you're really going to help the show out. As always, guys, thank you for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. Burning.